another edition of the Merchant of Magic podcast. I'm Dominic Rays, and today I am joined by Sean Boone, a magician, mind reader, and professional charlatan. Sean's been performing magic for 14 years now, uh, professionally performing in Hampshire in the UK. He's really active on social media and uh, very much into his mind reading and close-up magic. So uh, we're really stoked to have him uh, here at the Magic Shop uh, to chat about his experiences. Hi, Sean. Hiya. <laughs> How's it it's going? An unusual experience, but yeah, no, this is, this is cool. Um, should be good. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Thanks. Well, look. Let's start right at the beginning. How did you uh, discover magic? Okay, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, I was a young boy who had a magician at my birthday party. And uh, I don't, typically it's just slipped my mind, but I can't remember the name of the guy, but it turned out um, that he became quite prevalent in magic. I think he became like the president of possibly a, a district magic circle or maybe the magic circle. But I had this magician who levitated me on a, on a flying carpet. I've still got the Polaroid tucked away somewhere. If you look on my website, it's on there as well, I think. And uh, that left an impression. Not enough to want to perform it, but enough to be intrigued by magic. And it wasn't until I got the, the good old Paul Daniels magic set that I kind of started that interest. But being quite small, I couldn't hide things in my hand I couldn't get away with some of the fancy slights because you know I wasn't dexterous enough yeah so I kind of dropped it um got on with what what we'll call real life I suppose and during the giving away my age here the sort of seven late 70s early 80s you had people like Paul McKenna um in the 90s you had Yuri Geller during the 70s and 80s Te television shows like Arthur C. Clarke's World of Strange Powers those yeah. sorts of things really intrigued me and that reignited my my love of what I think we just call like mystery, mm. and and the nearest I could find to be a, being able to do the things that I was seeing people like Yuri Geller do was by going into magic, yeah. and and it wasn't until I actually had a chance um, meeting in Commercial Road in Portsmouth with Paul McKenna that I got interested in in learning about stage hypnosis and learning about the mentalism side of things and learning about magic. And so so it got reignited by a chance meeting, really. Wow, that's cool. And, um, and you've met Yuri Geller as well? Yep, I met Yuri Geller um, a couple of times. Um, really, really nice guy. Um, very interesting, lots of stories to tell. And he's, I think he's deeply misunderstood, actually. Um, and, and I think from a magician's point of view, deeply misunderstood, because a lot of us magicians are sceptics, and I hold my hand up as well, I'm, I'm a sceptic, and... You know, some would argue uh, that I'm also a cynic. and uh, It's and not I, necessarily a bad thing. I, I don't know. Um, I used to do that sort of self-depreciating humour, but I just found I wasn't very good at it. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's very misunderstood, I think, and he's done a, a great deal for the mystery arts. I, to this day, cannot put my hand on heart and say whether what he does is real, isn't real, or whatever. I know that I can replicate those things, but I don't know how he does it, and I'd like it to stay that way. Yeah, it's quite nice still to have that mystery, isn't yeah. it? That sense of wonder yeah. that we lose as we, as we um, yeah. learn more and more about magic. And become more and more cynical. <laughs> That's right, yeah, yeah. It, it's almost like, um, you know, the more we learn... 
the harder it is to think back to yeah. that moment when we were beginners exactly. and we still had that um, that belief and strip away the knowledge that sometimes gets in the way as yeah. much as it helps. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I try and avoid um, watching certain types of, of magic tuition DVDs or books because I want to keep that wonder. I mean, even strange things like dove magic you know i've got absolutely no interest in performing dove magic well that's come back on tv now hasn't it because of darcy on uh, britain's got talent well, that's the thing i don't know because i don't watch it oh. <laughs> I, I, I don't wa- i try not to watch the tv guys because i don't i don't want to be influenced by them but at the same time i try not to study those topics either because i i want to keep that sense of wonder yeah, people do send me video clips. Oh, did you see this guy on Britain's Got Talent? Did you see this guy on, on YouTube, on Ellen or whatever? And they show me these video clips and, and I like it because I like to look at it and go, wow, with them. Yeah. Whereas if I was the sort of person that did continually tune in to watch Britain's Got Talent, did continually tune in to watch all the David Blaine specials, all the Darren Brown specials, if I did do that, which I did used to do, but yeah. I don't do anymore... I, I don't think I would share the same level of wonder um, or as much as I do at the moment if, if I was watching it continually. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult being an insider looking at magic and being a spectator. It's very tricky. Yeah. You know? So from watching magic, from, from learning magic as a kid and how everyone does with that Paul, Magi- Paul Daniels magic set... Mm. It seems to be responsible for like every magician <laughs> in the country he's, now. He's, How did you? What, what what made you then pick up magic again? That's really really tricky because um, I was trying to think what was it that made me actually perform, and I think it was holidays to Blackpool when I was a kid, and I wasn't aware when I was a kid that Blackpool had the great big magic connection with the convention that it does that we we know of. Um, But there was joke shops, there was various magic shops. um, Some of them are still going, some of them have changed names, changed owners, some of them sadly no longer around. Um, And I think as a youngster, I used to go to these joke shops, these magic shops, see something get demonstrated... And I think everyone can relate to spending a, what was considered to them as a child a small fortune. Yeah, on, it's a big investment as a kid. On buying a secret. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember buying a, a, an effect. A gentleman showed me. He had a ten pence and a two pence. He asked me to name one of the coins. He closed his hand. He opened his hand and the coin had vanished and leaving one behind. And I remember spending about thirty, forty pounds on that and receiving what was essentially 12p. <laughs> so, um, plus the secret but it was performing those in the bed and breakfast to you know my parents to my friends to the other guests and boring them to tears to some extent i imagine but also seeing that look of oh oh that's that's really good what whatever it was that he bought in that shop that's that's really clever yeah and it was that reaction that i think ignited me to want to perform and i think that's what still continues um it's it's not that attitude of, oh, I can do something you can't do, or I can do the impossible. But it's, it's that kind of, wow, that, that's really, that's, that's good, that. Even if someone just looks at it and goes, that's really good. Or if someone looks at it and goes, that's really clever. Yeah. Or it's just simply a, a wow. That's enough of a reaction to drive me to continue performing. 
Yeah, yeah. So. It's interesting you, you say that because it's like um, when we first, that first magic trick that we buy, when we mm. first discover magic, mm. you tend to buy it. It's almost purer than the magic tricks that you discover later because mm. you buy something not for the fun of maybe practice and rehearsal and improving and building an act. You buy it because you think, that's really cool, I want to show my friends that. Yeah. So your, your first motivation is showing your mates. Mm. Yeah. It's only later on that you start um, acquiring magic tricks and just practicing them and maybe not performing them. You're just going through the motions of learning a new trick and learning yeah. a new trick and learning a new no, I think trick. We've, I think we've all got draws of those tricks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like we need to get back to the first time we ever bought a magic yeah. trick and remember yeah. why we bought it. Exactly. Rather than, um, and again, that's, that's why, like I said a moment ago, is I try to avoid watching too much magic on TV because I want to keep that feeling of when I see someone perform something or if I see a product demo or a review of something and oh that's really spiked my interest and it's it's just keeping that and you've always got to think of the audience perspective there are hundreds of magic tricks out there that I'm fairly sure don't see the light of day past magic clubs um they're your know, tricks for magicians yeah um you know they're they're real foolers Oh, this one's a magician fooler. That's great. I perform for the public, though. And I'm not, I'm not about fooling them. I'm about creating that sense of excitement, that, that, that feeling that I got when I first saw someone perform. Yeah. So how do you approach practice? Um, do you practice regularly, or um, do you tend to practice in the field now? Oh, of How course, I practice daily. Of <laughs> course <laughs> uh, you do. Yeah, ten absolutely. minutes in the morning, ten minutes in the uh, evening. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, I don't practice half as much as um, as other people say they do. <laughs> um, I what I do. Um, so if I was learning from a, a book or a DVD, um, let's say I would you know, open the book up to whatever effect is I'm wanting to learn. I will sit down with that deck of cards or those props. I would read it like stereo instructions and go through the motions. I'd keep going through the motions until I feel comfortable. Then I will ditch the book because I hopefully have got the moves down. And I would then go to mirrors and I'd look at mirrors that have you know, got two sides as well as the, the front mirror. So I can get some looks at angles because something I've come to notice is that, you know, we're all different. You can read a book that says, hide this part of the playing card underneath the thumb and da 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 and all this sort of thing. Mm. That's great for that person that wrote that book. That might not be great for me. And it might not be great for the types of places that I perform in. So I get the moves down, the fundamental mechanics of the effect, go to mirrors to then start adjusting my angle so that when I perform it, I know that I'm safe, I'm covered. I'm not a great fan of performing to video cameras. Only because we have two eyes, uh, a camera only has one, and also when you do perform live to a, you know, an audience, people move themselves around and they want to look around and, and you know, you've got to think fast and change your angles sometimes. So, and I think you know, we probably have all fallen for a magic product demo that we've seen on a YouTube video or something got the prop and gone, well, that only works from that one angle. Yeah. So practice-wise, I get the mechanics of actually doing the moves as much as I can. Then I go to mirrors. Once I've gone to mirrors, I'll do it through a video camera just to 
so that I can see what the trick looks like. It can be worth it for a video camera as well to look at sort of maybe unconscious tells. That yeah. you're giving. Are you closing your eyes when you do? Especially yeah. if you use mirror work, yeah. there can be a habit of closing your eyes when you're doing a sneaky yeah. move because you don't want to see yourself yeah. and, doing it. And you don't realise that you're, you're closing those eyes. You know, yeah. A blink takes you know, that, that long, doesn't it? It takes nothing. Um, and then after I've, I feel that I'm comfortable, then I'll go to a... What, what are we calling them? Muggles? Lay people? Yeah, we yeah, call whatever. whatever. <laughs> um, a friend. <laughs> go, go to a friend that is not part of the magic scene, um, but is a good enough friend and honest enough that they will tell you if they saw something. They might not know what they're seeing, but I'll perform to them. Um, I did it quite recently, actually. Um, an effect called Chaos 2, yeah. um, Mark Elsden effect, yeah. um, essentially a kind of a triumph kind of routine. Um, and I performed that and a very standard triumph effect. Um, I'm not going to go into the methods, but one of them is, um, you know, almost self-working. The other one is self-working if you put the time in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I performed both of them for, for this friend and said, uh, look, from, from your perspective it's going to look exactly the same from my perspective i'm you know it's, it's different for me just tell me which one you liked best and i was so pleased because they they preferred the uh the natural version shall we say okay and uh, and it gave me a nice little kick because it makes you think oh, all that practice is really worthwhile mm. um whereas you could rely on a, a prop I'm not saying that the Chaos 2 isn't a prop worth using because it, it really is, and I have used it quite a lot, but um, since honing some sleight of hand, it's like, ah, okay, let's go that way because sleight of hand is your, is your backup plan. If you could have all the gimmicks, all the props, all the things, you know, all these gadgets and gizmos that you can buy, but if someone says to you in the middle of the street, eh, you're that magician that was at such and such's wedding, weren't you? I've got a deck of cards or I've got some coins, but can you do something? Yeah. You've got to be able to do it. Yeah, true. No. I think as well, Jim, when you said there were two very similar tricks, mm. one using a gimmick and one using mm. more sleight of hand, in a way, the sleight of hand method forces you to spend more time on it. Yeah. And because you're spending more time on it, you're also picking up, you're rehearsing the trick as well as practicing yeah. it. So uh, the little subtleties evolve yeah. uh, and time, uh, timing evolves, which mm. maybe gets shortcutted with the mm. uh, gimmick when... Yeah. You've got something so immediate. Yeah. The, the comment that they actually had was um, from the, the slight version. They said that actually seemed more impossible, which yeah. was kind of strange because the effect is still the same. Yeah. You know, the, the, the end product is still the same, but that just seemed more impossible. It just left me thinking, well, how? How? You know, what, what did <laughs> yeah. I do? You, know? you always need them to become a magician so yeah, they can give like, you, you can grill them further. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you prefer? Do you, like, uh, what's your magic books, magic DVDs? Um, it I, sounds I, like books. From it's really tricky. It's really, really tricky because um, I'm left-handed. Right. I I don't like either. <laughs> I don't. I don't like books. I don't like DVDs because. Okay, no, I think a DVD probably because with the DVD being left-handed, I can look at the screen. And it's a mirror image, which makes it a bit easier for someone that's lifting up their right hand to me on camera is the equivalent of my left hand. Whereas reading a book, I'm mentally trying to flip images. I'm me mentally trying to substitute it's the words. It's another stage on top, isn't it? Yeah. 
Um, something that I have found with a lot of the classic texts as well is because they get reprinted and reprinted, the images lose their quality, they lose their size, some of them get distorted. Um, I hate to say it, but you know, DVDs are providing almost like a one-to-one tuition session and you yeah. can get multiple angles from, from watching a DVD rather than a long descriptive method of how to do a trick. You know, I didn't even know that I had something called a phalanx or a flange or whatever, you know. Didn't even know that until I picked up a, you know, a magic book and then accompanied it with an anatomy book. You know? Why do you think the traditional approach of magic books, people tend to be fanatical about our magic books are best? Um, it's because it's the old way, I think. It's the traditional... Um, meeting up with this magician who teaches you his old ways he's your mentor and you you get given this dusty old tome yeah. and you know you can almost blow the dust off it and it's, it's like oh this is involved. yeah it's fantastic all you know it's got all these secrets in there and so on have you not read harry potter you know <laughs> um, so it's 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 that romantic idea of it um but dvds well, we're talking, you know, Blu-rays and things these days. Well, but streaming DVDs now, is, is, is the future or was the future. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to come next. That's the next thing. What's going to come next in how to learn? Um, streaming, as you said, but I, I think... Well, we've seen know, streaming, the, the, the sales through for the streaming is just going through the roof this year. Hmm. So it seems there's been some kind of switch. I think as more people get used to... Um, iTunes and they get used to yeah. streaming services like Spotify. Yeah. Um, perhaps it seems to be becoming much more acceptable. Yeah. I think certainly for the back catalogue of DVDs, because our worry from running a magic shop is that everybody's interested in the new releases that are coming all the time. Mm. And um, a magician may make a, um, a video and the expense of producing one or 2,000 DVDs at a time mm. is justified when it's initially released. Yeah. But a year or two years down the line, when the sales maybe slow down, um, a lot of magicians aren't then reproducing their DVDs. So a lot of it's, be, it's being forgotten. Mm. Uh, and streaming allows a permanent back catalogue. Yeah, yeah. So it may be good for the archiving of magic. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, but also I think, just to back up the, the, the good old books side of yeah. things, that's where a lot of the really good secrets are as well. Because you do get um, people that you know, want to perform the thing that they just saw on TV and uh, all the latest product that's just come out and that's great but there is like you just say that, that initial kind of rush of buying it um, now that's fine but I find a lot of the great secrets are tucked away mm. um, mind you even to the point where I've, I've heard of some um, people produce a DVD of a, of a certain effect only to find out they just reinvented the wheel Mm. and completely trash that whole DVD stock because someone's gone, <laughs> I released that about 10 years ago. Oh. <laughs> yeah. you know, um, but there are some gems hidden away. You know, that's the well, thing. One thing I've noticed with books is that um, an author can create a magic trick, put it into a magic book, describe mm. the process in detail, mm -hmm. but never actually have to demo or perform that trick. Yeah. So when you look at the trick, you actually you never see what the finished outcome um, yeah. looks like. And I know it's different for every person, but it can allow sometimes there to be more pipe dreams because you'll have a trick there and, and mm. you'll spend a lot of time learning it. 
and investing your time and energy into it and the end product might actually not be that entertaining or that not good and sometimes you get maybe long phase multi-phase routines mm. which are dreadfully boring I, but you, you don't see what that looks like to a spectator to evaluate it and i think perhaps authors can sometimes take advantage of that yeah. and maybe uh, describe or sell a trick that they they haven't performed they've yeah. maybe worked out rather than actually used. And there are some you know quite well-known magician authors that are quite well known for not having actually performed their effects to, to live audiences, um, let alone dead ones. But it's uh, it's very difficult to to think outside of the ad copy because you have to come, somehow describe what that effect is to a, a reader. Um, and from the DVD point of view, you have to be able to demonstrate the end effect, but also without tipping the method you know you, you've got to leave out that essential bit um but a, a book when they describe in in a book what the effect looks like a lot of times yeah it can be just an extended version of ad copy really um you know we, we it, it might be interesting as as books develop and we start to have um, multimedia built into our books mm. as we move to more more to ebooks, yeah. but you'll have a book with embedded video that shows yeah. you the performance, and you can you can certainly do that with you know PDFs and things. So I think that definitely, um, and there are a lot of books these days that do accompany with a, a DVD. Yeah. We might get we might end up with the best of both worlds. Mm. Mm. Um, so what are your um, sort of influences? What magicians have uh, inspired you? Well, because I try not to watch them, <laughs> um, it still is actually the classics, you know, it, the classics from the 70s and the 80s. So Paul Daniels, absolutely. Um, the guy is pretty darn good, really. You know, he did some really, really great stuff for magic. Um, Ali Bongo um, for creating a lot of the things that Paul Daniels did perform. And also being the author of the uh, Whiz Kids How to Be a Magician book. That was the first book I actually got. <laughs> Um, Hans Moretti oh yeah um, fantastic that that was someone that put danger into magic that was you know edge of your seat stuff David Berglass was brilliant he was for me the kind of guy that that did start to blur the lines between what I was seeing people like Yuri Geller do yeah. and the magic it was kind of a mixture between oh this guy's a magician but hey he also does mind reading you know David Berglass doing his famous pulse stopping amazing routines um so those are my kind of influences these days uh, your favorite I get, creators at the moment I, I get inspired by people rather than influenced if i can help it uh favorite creators um peter arcane uh very underground um mentalist and bizarre performer um brilliant brilliant guy if you want to learn about readings and and uh, uh, dowsing that sort of thing if you're into that sort of stuff scott creasy produces some of the best workable mentalism products i've seen in a long time i love christopher taylor as well i think his stuff is amazing very practical and i could watch his dvds just for ever and ever and i know it's going to sound really corny but jimmy strange from um oh, cool yeah you know, Coming up, magic. Yep. coming up with some brilliant ideas, things that, and it sounds so cliched, forgive me, but some of the stuff that he's coming out with is TV magic for real live audiences. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And that's the, that is the big challenge at the moment, 
new starters to magic are seeing magic on TV, wanting to do the miracles that they're seeing on TV for a TV audience, but they want to do it for a live audience. Jimmy, just this morning before we, we did this um, podcast, Jimmy showed me um, a new trick he's working on mm-hmm. with a, a card box. Oh, you showed me? Card box. Did you see yeah, it? Yeah, really, yeah. really good. I don't know how he's coming up with this stuff. I know, it's, <laughs> he's, it's crazy. he's an ideas machine, which is really, really nice. Yeah, we're going to have a meeting with him uh, next week and do a brainstorming session mm-hmm. on that, because I think that could be a new yeah. release. I think I, he's got something there. I do think um, Deceptus is going to be a bit of a game changer. Yeah, well, I'm, we're so, I'm so pleased with how it's gone for him as well. So it's all over the world. And the feedback we've got has been really nice. So, and, uh, and he deserves it. So that's good news. So what do you tend to perform when you're actually out there in the trenches? I'm not giving away my routines. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, do, you, do you do a lot of mentalism? Or what do you do? do? Uh, like um, cards or coins? Or? I do a bit of both. I mean, my, as my intro said, magician, yeah. mind reader and professional charlatan. A lot of times people see my business card, they see the word magician, they want to see magic. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they see my business card, they see the word mind reader, they want the mind reading. Some of them say, what does professional charlatan mean? And I just say, oh, I'm going to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm quite honest about the fact that I'm going to cheat, but they don't know how. So the sort of things that I perform, um, some of your staple routines, you know, ambitious card. Yeah. Uh, I perform things that tickle me sometimes, um, things that when I do them and I get away with them and I can walk away and go, did I just get away with doing that? Mm. And there's a great routine and the name of it escapes me, but uh, it's on a James Brown, um, the magician, James Brown, um, DVD. I think it's on still fancy a pot of jam. It's a routine where the spectators signed chosen card. Um, you it's it's the only card left in your hands encircled by their hands the rest of the pack vanishes oh cool um i use it as a as a climax to ambitious card yeah if i don't have something like an omni deck with me because i sometimes use that as a climax if i don't have that with me then my line you know i'll say oh let's try and make your card disappear from the pack put your hands on top of mine just one two three open your hands and Oh, no, no, I wanted your card to disappear from the pack, not the pack to disappear from your card. Yeah. Yeah, so I try to reverse it. I think Magic Tower have released a travelling deck, haven't they, that Dynamo used, Mm. where the deck vanishes just leaving the card. I think that's like a gimmicked version. This is completely ungimmicked, and if if you've got Still Fancy a Pot of Jam, or if you haven't, and you look at at the the routining for it, you'll think, I can't get away with that, and do it do it because the day that you do it and that that time where you do the routine and that audience go what wow what yeah that's the moment you go well i can get away with murder here (laughs) (laughs) there's all that angst before you perform it as well when i was doing you know bottle food table yeah took me ages and ages and ages to to bring up the courage to try it because even though you know you see the your colleagues doing it Mm. and you know that it's going to work oh misdirections there and everything so you just think there is no way that's going to fly yeah. past people well, and then that sense of relief when I, you do it you say, I, oh, have awesome. got, I have got bottle through <laughs> table um, the props for bottle through table they go out with me to every single gig that I've done I've still yet to perform it <laughs> well stayed with me for ages yeah I was carrying around that, that gimmick for about six months yeah <laughs> I, I just thought they're not, that's not going to fly is it you know but yeah, you see someone like well the person that sort of inspired me to get that effect was Faye Presto Faye Presto yeah yeah brilliant um i'm kind of glad that i don't perform it because i'm i kind of want that to be phase trick 
you know, yeah. that's, that's really, really nice. I think Etienne performs it, doesn't he, quite often mm. now. I, th- I learned it um, from working with Etienne Pradier, mm. and he was showing it, and that's when I thought, ah, oh, great, okay, yeah, that's, mm. a, that's a lovely bit of, uh, of magic there. But again, yeah, you've got to do it. It's, you, yeah. you can't, you can't um, get past that. And, and the same with Coin Under Watch. Yeah. As yeah. well. We have so many people saying, have you got any tips to yeah. learn how to perform yeah. it? And, well, just try it and see mm. how it's easier than you think. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I, it wasn't that long ago, actually. I think I asked um, Ben in the, in the shop uh, about things like Coin Under Watch or Card Under Watch and, and various sort of putting of items. Because mm. I have the same kind of nerves. But... Yeah, he said, just just do it. You know how to to do the moves and so on. Just try it. Went out and tried it. It's like, no, nah, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> <laughs> so do you tend to do the same set? Of, have you got a structured, worked-out act? Or when you turn up to a gig, do you just get your bag and decide what you're going to perform I, there and then? I take with me what is essentially three routines, um, because I like to cycle the, the room. So I'll go up to one table, do one routine. Then I'll do a different routine to a different table because I know that they've probably craned their necks and had a look at what's gone on previously. So I'll try and avoid repeating if I can. Um, so I have a, a set of three that I kind of cycle. I always take out something new that I want to push myself with. Um, I always take out something new. I don't always put it into the routine, but if there's been a particular table that's been really receptive... Then I'll go back to them and I'll say, oh, do you want to see something else? Yeah. I'll even be honest, do you want to see something I'm working on? You've often got that 15, 20 minutes, haven't yeah. you, right at the end where you've, you've kind of got round all the tables and yeah. you've still got some time. You can cherry pick. Yeah. It, sound, it sounds strange, sounds kind of awful, but it's like, I can, yeah, can I, do you mind if I try something? Yeah. And people have, have seen what you can do competently. They're more than happy for you to practice something that, you know, that, let's basically be honest, deep down inside, you know you're competent at yeah. You're just trying to get over your own nerves. They've had a few it. drinks as well by then, haven't they? Helps. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes the appearing elephants yeah. a lot easier. But you haven't <laughs> got to worry about approach. They're happy to no, see you. They've you, already seen you. Yeah. yeah. And you're going back to people that are particularly responsive as well. Yeah. So you've kind of yeah. you've won half the battle already yeah. of the nerves. Yeah. I, I like performing for people that want to see a magician perform. Mm. Yeah. Do you still get nervous when you when you go to gigs? Um I get nervous when I'm sort of packing all my stuff up thinking oh crikey you know uh, I've heard that there's you know this many hundred people here I've heard it's black tie or these are some big wins big big (laughs) wins from this company it's like oh crikey you know Um, but there is no other solution than just getting out and just doing it you you know you've got to approach that first table at some point so the minute you approach it that's it you can approach the second one now and the third one fourth one they're all exactly the same you know Um, it's it's not half as scary as, as people build it up in their minds when they're first starting out. There is only one way to approach that first table, and that is just approach it. You know, I introduce myself, I say my name, I say, hello, I'm Sean Boone. I'm the magician that's been hired to entertain you this evening, you know, look after you during the photo call or in between courses, whatever I've been hired for. I tell them who I am, I tell them what I do, and I ask them, do they want to see as well. You do, yeah. I ask yeah. because um, I've been at, at gigs. I've not let on that I'm a magician, but I've been at, at gigs and, and things where people have been had a magician thrust at them. Yeah, you know, hi there, I'm crazy Colin or whatever, and bang, here's a trick, and it's like, whoa, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, hang on a second. So I, I, I like to ask. Um, 
How do you ask? It's quite simple. Would you, would you like to see what I do? You know, would you like to see what I do? Um, I have sometimes got a business card out at this point, just to sometimes because of noise level, you know, it acts as a subtitle. You know, noise level. Hello, I'm Sean. Get a business card out. They can see what I do. Would you like to see? Oh yeah. What happens if someone says, "Oh no"? Okay then. Do you mind if I entertain the rest of the guys on the table? Oh no, go ahead. And I guarantee, ninety percent of the time, that that person that was initially, "Oh no, no." Oh, what was that? Let me let me see. That's a good line because a lot of people are worried about. Oh, I'm going to ask, and what if they say no? I know it's very very rare that yeah. they do, but yeah. I mean, you got to be careful with your tone. Mm. Um, you know, there are some ways of saying it. For instance, you know, if you went up to a table and and it was a, a large table and someone said, "Oh no, no, thank you, not here, not here, thanks." And if you said to them, "What do you speak for all the table?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you got to be careful how you kind of say it. You know, yeah. do you mind if I perform for everyone else? Oh no, go ahead. You know, I know it sounds kind of weird and it's a bit of a linguistic trick, but. Yeah, I guess that sometimes that spectator is worried actually about being picked. Yeah. Uh, you've, uh, you've approached them, you're the first person they speak to, and they're kind of like, oh no, he's going to make me stand up, mm. he's going to make me look a fool. Yeah, and, um, and often after you've performed an effect for someone, that person that initially declined may start, oh, what, what was that you did there? Yeah, oh, can I? Go on, go on, show me one, go on. Yeah, you know? yeah. So they, they, you get the buy-in. Yeah, so it's a good recovery. Hmm. So you use you hand out business cards right at the beginning. Sometimes you'll use that as actually your approach, your introduction. Yeah, um, I'll use it as an approach. You know, hi, you know, this, my name's Sean. You know, I hope you like what you see. Here's you know, here's my business card. If you don't like what you see, then I'm David Copperfield. You know, <laughs> but uh, I'll give out a business card. One because I want them to have it, of course. I use them in effects. I have single-sided business cards, so I use the other side for writing predictions and drawing duplications, things like that. Um, I will also give out a business card to that person that wasn't interested as well, because I still want them to have it, because I want them to think maybe someone else will use it. You know, And I'll say, oh, perhaps you'd like to give this to someone that would like to have an, a magician at their event. Yeah. You know, so... I've given everyone the business card, you know, whether they want it or not, you know. So I sometimes use a business card as a referral tool. So if I say, oh, if you've enjoyed the magic, mm. um, if, you, if you enjoy this magic, there's a great TV show on at the moment, yeah. Dynamo Magician Impossible. It's on on Tuesdays. Oh, on, yeah, absolutely. Watch. Here, let me write that on a card for you. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll put that on a, my back of my mm. business card and I'll give it to them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's... It's, uh, yeah, it's, the, it's a blank of a business card. You can put whatever you know, info on there. They, a lot of people um, ask you, you know, have you seen such and such a do this trick on TV and so on? So, yeah, I'll, I'll use the business card. Oh, look up this one. Look up yeah. this, you know, oh, Dynamo Series 2. This is really good, you know. And yeah. Yeah, you well, if you've got someone that you know is enjoying magic, why not yeah. give them a referral over to find some more yeah. magic they're interested in? Yeah, I've even used it to jot down books for people to get started on. You know, so oh, okay. okay cool. you, you like magic. Yeah. If you're really serious about learning, talk to these guys. Da, 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 you know. So would you teach someone a trick if um, they asked? In my routine at a booking, I do teach tricks, but the tricks I teach are bar bets. That oh, sort okay. of style. Well, the sort of one where when you, the end of a trick almost explains it, explains the method, so there's nothing, there's not secret there. Um, you know, like uh, pushing a... Put, I can push this object through the yeah. hole, through the, yeah. the handle of a glass, yeah. and then you show them you're pushing yeah. your finger through. Yeah. I, I want I want to 
to give them back something so that they can so they can go out to others and talk about me yeah. but also give that feeling that they just had as well that kind of oh wow that's really cool or, wow that was amazing yeah. um, so little things that I'll do uh, are the I can't describe it without sort of showing you so much but it's the it's the put your hands out together, turn your thumbs down, cross your arms over, insert your fingers and twist your twisting arm yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. I said, oh, you can win beers with this. You'll love this. Trouble is you won't be able to do it tonight because uh, I'll be teaching everyone. Oh, you know. So you get, my persona is, you know, quite sort of funny, charming, kind of cheeky, chappy sort of thing. But uh, it gets that buy-in that they want to kind of enjoy. They want to learn. Oh, that's really good. How can I do this? Or how, nine times, how did you do that? You know? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to show you how I did that, but here's something you can do, you yeah. know, or something that you might find interesting. Yeah. Well, you talk, one of, one of the things that, you know, we've known each other for quite a while now, mm. one of the things that, that really impresses me about the way you run as a, a magician is you're very, very active in social media. I'm trying to say I'm online too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're really active on Twitter, and, yeah. um, and that seems to be working really well for you, and you've got an interesting mm. approach to it. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think the way that people are looking for products and services, whether we're talking a magician or, or even a plumber or builder for that matter, has changed. Um, we're we're losing the directory style, you know, yellow pages style of looking. And I think we lost that a long time ago, and, and it's kind of evident when everyone started naming their company Aardvark Cleaning and Aardvark Builders and all that stuff. <laughs> um, technology's changed. We use keywords now. Um, you know, we're throwing adverts in our face based on keywords. So I, I use social media almost in the reverse. I look up what people are looking for from other people's tweets, um, technology, you know, software-based, but go into that another time perhaps. Um, but I like the idea that it spreads virally. It's not about having loads and loads of likes on your Facebook page. It's not about having loads and loads of follows on your Twitter page. What's more important is that it's a virtual word of mouth. More important that more people are talking about you rather than you saying, ah, look, well, I've got you know 3,000 people that like my page. I must be good. No, that's just 3,000 people that clicked the like button. Yeah, that's not 3,000 people that are talking about you currently. That's the you know, most important thing. You often say that, that a lot of magicians have the wrong type of followers. Um, a lot of them, and it is tricky, you know, because we are quite a close-knit community. A lot of magicians follow magicians, which is fair enough. Um, but that is a two-way street, particularly on Twitter. You've got to have followers. So I, I look for the kind of mutual services. So, for instance, if, the, if your kind of main bookings are weddings then I'll try and find a wedding supplier to follow in the hope that they follow back. You know, so, for instance, um, I'd look up a wedding planner, right. um, even a, an events organiser, so that we've got that mutual interest. Yeah. But um, you're expanding your circle of influence as yeah. well, aren't you? Yeah, Outside absolutely. of just a narrow tunnel of magic. Yeah, and it's, um, yeah, as I mentioned, it's, it's not about having a number of followers, it's about how many people talk about you. So if you, if you connect with someone like an events planner or an events organiser, um, you follow them, they follow you, maybe you have done an event at that venue and that's your reason for following them, then if they spread the word, if they say, oh yes, we saw you at such and such an event, and they tweet that, well, your message has gone out to their hundreds, thousands, 
millions of followers, whatever. Mm. And if one of their followers sees that, who was also at the event, and they spread it, it spreads again, it spreads again, it spreads again. And it's, it's, that's that kind of impact that's so important on Twitter. Um, I get out, outside of you know, trade shows and things like wedding fairs, and outside of that, my main source of work is from Facebook and Twitter. Right, okay. uh, I think it's quite an undeveloped area for for a lot of magicians. Yeah, for magicians, definitely. It might Um, be focused on, but maybe in the wrong way. Yeah, uh, some people they they hear about technology and new methods like Twitter, like Facebook, and they use it. it Sounds awful. Use it incorrectly. They think it's a it's about keywords, so they make their tweet or their post consist of just keywords and. A link to their website, thinking that that's going to get them a hit. It might get it might get you a hit, but it also looks awful on the timeline or the news feed for those people that do follow you. You know, you've got to engage with people. It's it's virtual. It's called social media for a reason. You know, you yeah. talk to these people. So, do you favour more conversations rather than broadcasts of of bits of information? Are you trying to create a conversation? <laughs> Well, outside of magic, I do train people in social media. Um, it's There is a broadcast method. Now, the, the broadcasting of a tweet or a Facebook message is great. But the analogy that I use in my courses yeah. is it's like standing at the top of the mountain and going, Hi, I'm Sean Boone. I'm a magician. And that's great if someone's there to hear it. So if you've got existing followers, then they've heard that message. But... If you've got existing followers, they've already heard the message. Yeah, yeah you do often see you know. a magician and he's literally just yeah. reposting the same tweet, yeah. Joe Bloggs, magician available and, and the yeah. website, and it's over and over and over yeah. and over again. But if there, there are strategic ways of structuring a, a tweet, you can, you can um, directly converse. So if I put the, the at sign and then your username and then put like, hi oh, Don, how you doing? You know, saw you at such and such gig or saw that you had a gig in Eastleigh or whatever or London or this and that and the other. That's a conversation between you and I, which can be seen by you and I, but it can also be seen by our own mutual followers as well. So it does get out to a bit of a bigger picture. However, if I constructed the tweet this way, saw magician buddy Dominic Ray's, and then at your username, at such and such an event, really great fun from what I hear, then that message has been seen by me, obviously, because I wrote it. It's been seen by you because you've been tagged in it with your username. But because it's been structured by having text, then the tag, then more text, for example, it's also been seen by all my followers. And at this moment, I've got a couple of thousand. So my private conversation that we were having is now less private, but it serves as a bit of free publicity for you. Do you see well, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know? So you're also sharing the um, yeah. you're sharing the benefit, not just for yourself and bringing people yeah. into you, but you're also expanding other people's exactly. circles. Um, I, I get I call it circles. That's Google Plus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I get um, venues, for instance, that um, follow me or I follow that I've performed at, and they. I, I tweet about them and say, I've just got back from a wedding at such and such a venue, and I put their username in it, and they favourite that tweet. Now, that's pointless, um, in a way. Um, that's like bookmarking. That's great for me, because it's, it's shown that, oh, they've seen this tweet, and they've bookmarked it. They think it's something worth remembering. But if they'd have just hit retweet instead, or on Facebook hit share, 
then that's now gone out to all their followers and their followers can now see that oh this guy Sean performs at their venue he's you know he does gigs there regularly and it serves as it's a free advert every tweet you make every status post every comment you make every like every group you join it's all becoming more and more visible particularly on Facebook and if that's the case then you've got to think of them all becoming free adverts for you every time you do that but that doesn't mean to say that every tweet or every post should be hi I'm Sean and here's my website because there's that then becomes essentially junk mail doesn't it on a yeah. social media scale yeah so uh, there's, there's tips and tricks and little methods and things that you can use do you use a facebook fan page i do i do have a facebook fan page um i try and it's very difficult with the amount of funny stuff that you find on facebook to to keep it purely as business yeah um the difficulty with a facebook fan page is you can't always get the notifications from Facebook that people are interacting with posts or comments that you make. Uh, Facebook, I've found anyway in my experience, Facebook really want you to buy advertising. Yeah, we, we've um, really gone off Facebook from yeah. from having from building up a um, you know a community on there to yeah. suddenly and being promised that uh, you know you help these people build up you get the likes yeah. uh, and then they'll have access to your content yeah. suddenly that reach has just been switched off yeah. and now you have to pay to reach for people yeah. that have already liked and yeah. and, uh, and have opted in to that page's content but you know I've, I've always said it about things like facebook and twitter people whenever there's a change on facebook or twitter their policies change or terms change or whatever you see people in your timelines and your news feeds moaning about it. Yeah. You've got no right to moan about it as long as you're not paying for it. True. It's a free service. Yeah. You know. I suppose if you're going to build something on rented land, yeah. you uh, you can't expect yeah. to have control, if, can you? If you're paying for it, that's different. You know, And people will vote with their feet or their button clicks, won't yeah. they? Um, and then they'll go on to the new thing, whatever that might be. Yeah. You know. Do you ever do you collect sort of a database of, of emails from clients? Um, I do. Um, I use currently. I use Mailchimp yeah. um, as my tool. It's a free tool. So anyone that's listening, um, if you want to do things like newsletters, competitions, Mailchimp.com, I think it might well be. Um, brilliant. It's pretty tool. inexpensive as well, isn't it? It, uh, it goes well, on to how many contacts you. How yeah, many, uh, it's free up until something ridiculous, like a couple of thousand. I think it is. So yeah. I mean, I I collect email addresses when I'm at wedding fairs from people that want to give me their email address because there's nothing worse than being put on a list that you've not been asked to be put on. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's great because you can actually see that people have opened your emails. You can see that people have clicked particular links as well. Um, so you can see the results of what's working, what's not working. I should, I think, really send out more regular periodicals to, to prospective bookings. But I, I use it to, to keep people informed of where I'm performing. I use it to keep people informed of where they can catch me at a wedding fair or an exhibition yeah. or something. Well. Obviously, with weddings, you have people shopping for a specific event. Hmm. Um, how do you then follow them up over a longer period of time once that event has passed? Um, do, do you tend to drop it there, you've done the show, or do you tend to keep in contact with clients that, you've, that have already used you? I don't know. I've been really lucky. I, there's... Two kind of main things I've noticed about particularly the, the wedding bookings that I get. One of them is that I don't do wet weather. 
I've never performed on a rainy day. <laughs> okay, I, I almost come with a, a weather guarantee. <laughs> and the other thing I've noticed is that I don't perform for horrible people. Um, everyone that I've performed for, for whatever reason I've stayed in contact with, so whatever I'm doing, I've made an impression um, on a personal level as well. So I'm really fortunate in that sense that I can contact Mr. and Mrs. Smith that I performed for two, three years ago and say, oh, did you know I'm, I'm in your area, I'm performing at such and such a hotel. I can still do that. Um, so unfortunately, I, I can't really offer advice on, on what to do if you've got cold contacts like that. Yeah. Um, I don't tend to walk away from a wedding and go, hi, thanks for having me, see you later, bye, that. But if it. somebody's opted in, if someone's given you their email address mm. at a wedding... You followed them up after you at a, at, oh. a, at a wedding exhibition. Yeah, you followed them up um, and sent them some information, sent yeah. them a quote, yeah. started a communication yeah. with them, a conversation with them. Um, then let's say they book you mm -hmm. and you do the event. How do you then justify staying back in contact with that person because they were after a service for a specific event? Yeah, okay. Um, I don't know if it's a, a persona personality thing that I the way I talk to the bride and groom and communicate with them up until the event, but I I um I build a, a five minute friend, if you like. Yeah. You know, someone that you you've built this kind of relationship with. They yes, they've bought a service from you, but because the service is not a product in the sense of a tangible thing, yeah. Um it's the product is me. Um we all want to be liked, you know, it sounds awful, but that's kind of it. I, I build up a likeable, you know, friendship with them that's not quite a friendship. It's a real tricky acquaintance. Um, what? How do I get in touch with them after the event? Because it's a wedding, I'll wait a couple of weeks, give the old honeymoon, you know, uh, a time to be done and dusted. Yeah. And then I'll get in touch with them. Hope you enjoyed what you saw. Um, you know, just have a chat. Oh, I noticed that you're... Your bridesmaid, you know, um, they took some photos. Or would it be possible, you know, that I could have them? It sounds really strange, but a reason to to keep that relationship. Oh, oh yes, I'll get the bridesmaid to get in touch. Oh, I'll give you, I'll give you her contact details. Great. Would she mind me getting in touch? No, absolutely not. Brilliant. Another one for the mailing list. You know, yeah. <laughs> it just builds and builds and builds. Um, one of the things you can do is if you if you are gathering this mailing list in a programme like MailChimp or mm. Aweber or something like that, there's no reason why you can't segment that list no. and then create um, an autoresponder where it sends out an email automatically. Yeah. And that can be triggered perhaps in the approach to the one-year anniversary yeah. or the five-year anniversary or, if, you know, after mm. a while you can start doing like a 10-year anniversary yeah. where you recontact... Mm. Um, and um, and find out about those people, and you're recontacting at a point when they maybe think about having another party. Yeah. Um, or if you find out their date of birth, or you find out their birthday mm. during your interaction with them, yeah. there's no reason why you can't automate each contact being contacted at that point. Yeah. I mean, what I've noticed is my my initial form of contact is usually email. You know, after personally meeting them at a wedding show, um, is email. Then after the event, I notice they tend to add me on Facebook. Right. Um, and that's great because that does show you things like anniversaries, birthdays, anyway. Yeah. So there are methods for harvesting email addresses off of Facebook if you need to do that, but you've already got the email address. So now you know that extra information about their birthday, so you can get in touch, you know. Um, it's great for pre-show, guys. Um, <laughs> if you want to use it for, for routines as well, you know. <laughs> cool. Well, look, we're... Uh, we, we 
I, this was supposed to only be a 30-minute podcast, so we've gone through, but, you know, <laughs> such really useful information. Um, Sean, you, you said that you teach, um, you coach for social media. Yeah, absolutely. Um, small businesses, one-to-one, group bookings, um, but, you know, I'm sure we'll have a chat and do something. Yeah, we were talking about maybe doing something yeah. for, for magicians, some yeah. way of helping them and giving them a bit of um, a, a kickstart yeah. to get into Twitter and into Facebook effectively. I mean, if people are still listening an hour later... You know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh, they've got at least one, I think. And, one and, uh, still, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, they, and they want, you know, if, if they've got specific things they want to know about social media, then, you know, get, well, in, get in touch. How do they get in contact with you? Um, visit my website, www.hampshiremagician.com. And on Twitter, at Sean, spell S-E-A-N, underscore Boone, B-O-O-N. And we'll talk about why I love and hate that Twitter username at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Sean. Thanks ever so much for coming in. You're welcome. Cheers. Guys, thanks ever so much for listening. Um, on the blog at the moment, we've got a new ebook which um, has just been released called Approaching Tables. Um, it talks about how to introduce yourself to spectators, how to approach a table introduce yourself engage the group and start performing uh, it's completely free you can get it at blog.magicshop.co.uk um, it's quite a long book it's about 94 pages now because it covers um, even things like preparing and getting ready for the gig and scouting out the venue um, and there's some extra parts on dealing with um, alpha spectators or uh, attention seeking guests things like that so i hope you find that useful again if you've got any problems or questions at all drop us an email at support at magicshop.co.uk and um, if you enjoyed this podcast it would really help us if you took a few moments just to do a quick re um, review on itunes um, that helps us uh, improve our reach. iTunes takes that into account when it promotes uh, podcasts. So uh, it helps us find more magicians that might benefit from the podcast. Uh, so once again, I hope all your gigs go well, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Bye.